thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control, be radial, keep calm, and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, Sits and Sivs. You're listening to episode 009 of Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This episode was recorded live on the 8th of February and made available for download February 11th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Lennon. And I'm Tony. And what do we have this week, Lennon? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we examine some interesting radio comms from Los Angeles Center. In CRG News, we bring you up-to-the-minute coverage of everything happening around the UEE, featuring our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in-universe fiction, and the second episode of the next great Starship competition. We then put our thrusters to full and head into Nuggets for Nuggets and bring you everything we know about propulsion. Next, we bring you our interview with Chris Figueroa, founder of Kniffy Games, creators of the successfully crowdfunded game Imagine Me. And if that wasn't enough show for you lucky listeners, we'll then tune into the feedback loop and listen to your messages. Sits and Sivs, we're looking for a community manager to come and join the team here. So if you're looking for somewhere to let your creative juices flow, we want to hear from you. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com along with your qualifications. All positions at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, and there's a lot of labor and a a lot of love. But we offer a very well-known outlet for your work, and we look great on a CV or resume. So... If you're an irrepressible gossip hound who wants to give back to the Star Citizen community, get in touch. That email address again, squawk at guardfrequency.com. We're not going to beg you yet. Yet. But it's coming, so you'd better start applying. But before we do that, let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Do you boys need a carrier out here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Tony saying, welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. You know, there's always somebody faster. This week, someone sent us an old tale taken from a book called Sled Driver, Flying the World's Fastest Jet by Brian Shule. One day, a Navy F-18 jock straight out of Naval Air Station Lemoore heard a call put in from a humble Cessna pilot to Los Angeles Center, asking for a readout of his ground speed. Center dutifully gave the response, November Charlie 175, I'm showing you at 90 knots on the ground. With the calm, soothing tones that only air traffic controllers have handed down since the early days of space flight from the Houston Center. Well then, just moments after the Cessna's inquiry, a twin beach piped up on the frequency in a rather superior tone, with him having two engines to the Cessna's one, and he asked for his ground speed. Tower replied, I have you at 125 knots of ground speed. Boy, that Beechcraft must have really thought he's dazzling everybody. Time to show them who was boss. In tones that can only be described as anywhere from cool to ice cold, the Navy jock gave it his all. Center, Dusty 52, ground speed check. And here's the thing, apparently the FA-18 Hornet has a ground speed indicator built into the million-dollar cockpit, so there's only one real reason he's asking the tower for a readout. Good old Dusty here is making sure that every bug smasher from Mount Whitney to the Mojave knows what true speed is. And the reply, with that same calm voice, Dusty 52 Center, we have you at 620 on the ground. Well, unbeknownst to old Dusty, 80,000 feet up in the air happened to be a Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird. 
the fastest bird in the sky. With the click of the mic button from the back seat of the Blackbird came the call, Los Angeles Center, Aspen 20, can you give us a ground speed check? There was no hesitation, and the reply came as if it was an everyday occurrence. Aspen 20, I show you at 1,842 knots across the ground. The Blackbird knew that somewhere out there, five or six miles below them, was a Navy jock screaming with frustration into the cockpit of his Hornet. Still, you know, why stop there, though? A little insult added to the injury would be appropriate here. Blackbird keyed the mic one more time to say, in his best fighter pilot-like voice, Ah, Senator, much thanks. Uh, We're showing closer to 1,900 on the money here. And for that moment, all was silent until finally a little crack in the armor of the Houston Mission Control voice, and the L.A. Tower responded back, Roger that, Aspen. Your equipment is uh, probably more accurate than ours. You boys have a good one. It had all lasted for a few moments, but in that short, memorable sprint across the southwestern United States, the Navy had been flamed, and all mortal airplanes on the frequency were forced to bow before the King of Speed. A fine day's work. Not a single further transmission was heard on that frequency until the Blackbird was all the way to the coast. I feel the need for speed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's always somebody faster out there, right? I mean, just when you think you're the king of the hill. Oh, man. Having served in the Air Force, I've been up and close personal to the SR-71 Blackbird, and I can tell you that it is an impressive ship. The only thing about it that on the ground, uh, it's rather rickety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, I understand it was designed with cracks in the engine that leaked jet fuel because once it got up to operating temperature, the metal in the hull expanded to fill the cracks in. There's always somebody faster, so just uh, just watch <laughs> out there. Don't get cocky, kid. Have you read, heard, or seen something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. And our crowdfunding update for the 8th of February 2014, $38,232,041. We're on our way to the $39 million UDS-2943-01-022 system. <gasps> yeah, that'll be a good one. Rolls off the tongue. Next up. Double system bonus and an apology from me. I was wrong. We hit the goal on Tuesday last week. I said it'd be Thursday. So mark the date, 1st of February 2014. I was wrong about something. But uh, anyway, we have the new system, the the Kano system with the Waterworld Cartina in our pocket now. But there's additional scientific controversy surrounding the new system. Apparently... Due to the inconvenient laws of physics, a planet cannot have its north pole constantly pointed away from its sun. Some sort of conservation of angular momentum thing. Yeah, like that's a real thing I learned in ninth grade from Mr. Smith in the fourth hour principles of technology class. Whatever, whatever. We'll link you to the debate thread. Hopefully we can get this one fixed like the black hole controversy of a few weeks ago. And there's 9,696 alpha slots left and right around 385,500 registered users. Well, with another stretch goal, we have another letter from the chairman. Chris confirms that we are going to be receiving the Kano system with the aquatic water world of Cartania, as Tony has just said, and tells us the results of the poll for the $39 million stretch goal. To quote... 
Our final star system poll was the closest we've ever run, with only a few votes separating the Tavarian ghost world and the lost human colony. Since it sounds like Star Citizen's backers are equally excited about both concepts, we've decided to break the rules and include both concepts. So how about that? Two systems for the price of one. In addition, Chris also gives us a sneak peek at the Banu Merchantman ship, saying, Everyone curious about how the Banu Merchantman ship will land should check out the attached concept art. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. And he also gives us another sort of sneak peek about what the future holds. He says, That's it for the additional star system stretch goals. At 39 million, we'll announce a new goal that will help you chart the course of the future of Star Citizen in a very different way. And it's one I'm personally very excited about, so be sure to check back then and learn more. Yes. Ooh, exciting new things that aren't star systems. And they're not going to be ships because that wouldn't be new. Yeah. So what do we think it would be? Speculation time. Ooh. Random, random thoughts with no supporting evidence at all. (laughs) That's my favorite kind of random thoughts. Everything up to this point has added in-game flavor, right? You know, it's stuff that Roberts and his team have always sort of wanted to put in the game. But the stretch goals mean that he just been adding additional parallel paths. You know, the more funding he gets, he hires a whole other studio, right? So if he gets another $5 million, he hires yet another team in another city to work on this module or thing or component. Well, I got to think that at this point here, they're probably stretching the point where adding additional parallel processes is probably going to become an overwhelming management nightmare. So I think they got to be, you know, rather than stretching broader now, they need to be looking deeper and like, what can we add to the existing systems that we already have in play and make them you know, deeper or richer? I think it's going to be more fictional type stuff, more factions, more flavor, political parties, stuff like that. I, I don't know. See, what I was going to say until you said the whole thing about depth versus width was I was going to hope that, because um, we've sort of been told through the forums that Squadron 42 is going to be released in acts, in chunks, rather than as a, a whole mm-hmm. complete game. And I was, I was kind backers. of... Backers. Exactly. If yeah. you're a backer. If you're a backer. If you're a backer. That's the important distinction there. And I was just kind of hoping that maybe we could get it so it was like, I don't know, if we hit the next stretch goal, we might be able to get it all as one piece. But then that would be requiring more staff which would be adding to the breadth and not the depth of it so yeah yeah i i don't know i'm not really too sure so all right yeah well it's it's random speculation with no basis in fact so we're going to turn that out to the community for our first community question this week what's the new direction snazzy threads to wear in the deep black where no one can hear you sachet or sub factions like criminal organizations and ballet companies let us know in the comments section under our show notes at cardfrequency.com or on our show post on the RSI forums. And in a recent poll on the RSI website, CIG says, The next exciting Star Citizen event is coming soon. Chris Roberts and the Cloud Imperium Games team will be attending PAX East in April, and we'd like to know if you're interested in attending a special event similar to the one we held at Gamescom for the Hangar Module launch. Are these some subtle hints at the dogfighting module? Well, let's read on. The event would take place on April 10th in Boston and would not require admission to PAX East. We're also working to schedule a Star Citizen panel for those attending the show. Additionally, there's going to be a special treat for the most active Star Citizen organizations. Details are coming soon, but keep recruiting. Ooh, early access to dogfighting module? We know from previous letters from Chris that the uh, DFM has been pushed back until a late March, early April release. So uh, we have a prediction from Mr. Rich of the Guard Frequency staff. Mr. Rich, what's your thoughts on this one? 
Well, taking that it's going to be a late March, early April release, then if I were a betting man, and in this case, Tony, I would bet you five whole shillings that... Five shillings? Five shillings. Is that real money? Uh, that's about four dollars. We'll go four with four dollars. Four dollars, okay. yep. Okay. Yep. Them's the ones with Abraham Lincoln's face on it, right? No, um, Simon Bolivar. Huh. Yes, Simon Bolivar. Yes, uh, we have... What about yes. Benjamin Franklin? Pesos. No, no Benjamin Franklin's. No, sir. <laughs> go on. <laughs> I'm not betting you any Benjamin Franklin's. I don't even know what a Benjamin Franklin is, man. That could be like... Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Everybody knows about the Benjamins. Yeah, everybody knows about the Benjamins. We even call them Benjamins here, but for us, technically, they'd be queens. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. Um, So, yes, no, my money is going to be... Yeah, I think this is dogfighting module. April the 10th will be a pre-release for those that are either the active organizations or the subscribers or the backers or for those that attend packs. Our little guard frequency response, we're just chugging along. Probably we're not going to get that invite, but... Uh, no. Good luck to everybody that does. If anybody wants to call in and let us know how, if they're a member of an organization that got one of these early accesses, you know, talk to us. We're here. Talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. And a magazine in Germany called PC Games recently published a piece about Star Citizen that contains a load of gorgeous new artwork. Fortunately for those of us not able to go to the fatherland and grab a copy, CIG have collected their art and posted online for all to see. And we'll have a link to that artwork in the show notes as well. And in episode 55 of Wingman's Hangar, uh, well... There wasn't really a whole lot of new information since they've been on conference for the past week, week and a half or so. So there wasn't really a lot that they were releasing. And with the dogfighting module coming up fairly soon, they're going to be really tight on keeping all the secrets in, making sure there are no leaks whatsoever. But we did find some brilliant resources from a couple of users on Reddit. The first one is from a Reddit user with the name 1138 underscore 4EB. Thanks for making that really pronounceable there. Which he (laughs) took the screenshots of the video when the conference schedule scrolled past. Um, Did you find anything interesting in there? We only found one thing. The mood system. Now, I have no idea what that is. And it was all capitalized. Mood system. Mm. So so I don't know if that's a way to sort of, you know, go all Grand Theft Auto on somebody you managed to lure into the back end of your freelancer or if it's some sort of acronym for multi-operational overdrive. I don't I don't know. I, but there wasn't a whole lot on there and I just wondered what that might be. Yeah, I've wondered if it's related to the food and drink system because food and drink system sounds a bit sort of meh, unwieldy. Whereas mood system, it could possibly take into account all of that. I don't know. So we're eating a lot of dairy in the future? Mood system. Sorry, that was a cow joke. Massive online octopus database. Ooh, octopuses. Mm. So, so it could be cows, could be octopuses. It could be. So we're back into wild speculation territory. <gasps> Our favorite place to be. So if anybody has any idea what a mood system is, you know, be sure to speak up about it. And then also there was the uh, the whiteboard. Mm, yes. Yes, mm. at uh, 6 minutes and 30 in on the Wingman's Hangar episode. Again, this screenshot came from a Reddit user called... Anjaz, A-N-J-Z, or Z for you American guys, whatever, Um, (laughs) who took a screenshot of the whiteboard and did a lot of uh, CSI enhance, 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 (laughs) and managed to get it so it was legible enough that we could actually make out what was on the post-it notes. And what was really interesting is that on the left-hand side of the whiteboard, you can see the post-it notes with the various sections, FPS, Persistent Universe, Squadron 42. And then right at the end of the Squadron 42 line, there is clearly written on a post-it note the word beta. 
Now, obviously, there's going to be a beta. That's why we're here. But what right. makes it interesting is that the whiteboard is clearly then divided up into segments. And if you map a month to each of those segments, you pretty much end up with a beta for Squadron 42 around August is roughly what we're making it out to be. Now, it could be that we've got the calendar system completely off. But if that is accurate and this particular Reddit user has done his enhancement to just such a fine degree, then yeah, this could be really the first signs of a slightly more definitive date that it's coming. The fun thing about this one, if you look right over his shoulder, you also see an alpha about two months prior to the beta. Yes. And it's just, it's just further sort of reassurance that, look, it seems like a humongous, unmanageable thing, but they are breaking it down into smaller tasks and putting together a reasonably solid timeline. But that just means that we're back in the land of wild speculation. Yes! yes. My favorite place. All right, well, that's our next community question. What do you think about the schedule and the whiteboard? See anything we missed? Any scoops or insider information you want to share? Let us know in the comments section under our show notes at guardfrequency.com or on our show post on the RSI forums. And continuing on from last week, we have the next episode of the Next Great Starship competition. So, episode two, the pickings were a lot easier this week. The team were unanimous on four teams and Chris Roberts' favorite lost in the runoff. So, in the immortal words of the sage Nelson Muntz, so, out of all these guns that were scheduled this week, none of them really stood out to me. I mean, I've, I've made some notes really? here. Yeah, I'll just read you from my notepad. So I've got, looks like a pair of scissors. I think that's yeah. a leaf blower. That's just yeah. a minigun. I use something mm. like this to light my cooker. This is an orange <laughs> minigun. That's a stepladder with some bones. And this is a minigun in a tube. So that's that's the entirety of my notes there. And yeah, just nothing really stood out to me. There was nothing, uh, unlike last week, where that guy who lived in the middle of Alaska and I don't know what he did for fun, wrestled polar bears yeah. and occasionally made guns, whatever. Yes. Um, that one just really stood out. That's the Large Hadron Collider style. Mm -hmm. But this yes. week, they just all looked a bit meh. All right, all right, all right. Well, I remember the particle collider one you're talking about from the guy from Alaska. That one really was the standout of last week. But I think the, my favorite gun... So far, it was the last gun this week. is from Try Try. That's the name of the team. This is the first gun I saw out of the 16 we've seen so far that, number one, it looked like and it felt like a weapon system. There was manufacturing and design aesthetic behind it. Beyond just this gun, there was something solid and industrial yeah. behind the whole concept of it. In my notes, I actually wrote minigun in a tube. So, yeah, that would be a gun. So you agree with me? Oh, good. And the next thing is this is the first time that I want to see the rest of the ship that goes with this gun. You know, the whole idea here is that they design this weapon to qualify to go onto the competition to build a ship. And I want to see the ship that comes from the mines that made this weapon because it seems like it's a thing. It's a thing that has purpose, and that's what ships supposedly are in the Chris Roberts universe. There's, this is where the avionics computer is located, and it's accessed you know, behind a hatch underneath the thing. I mean, it's, there's, like, there's supposed to be some real-world grab-holdiness to it. Also, on, on a personal note, way to go, Kansas dude. Congrats to Griffin from Olathe, which is kind of up the street. And, well, we asked you if you wanted to change the name of this segment, and it was really popular, so we're going to keep with it. Uh, this week, we see the welcome return of where the f*** is the dogfighting module? 
apparently April 10th is what we reckon. But anyway, so this is our little segment where we just let you know what we're doing to fill the time before we get our hands on the dogfighting module. This week, I've been back to the Humble Bundle and I've picked up Ace Patrol and Pacific Skies. They're little fun RTS games by Sid Meier, who, if you oh, if you need me to tell yeah, you who he is, yeah. then yeah, exactly. You just need to get <laughs> off my damn podcast. So yeah, they're fun. And because it's Humble Bundle, it's pay what you want and you can split the money between the developers and charities. I picked up a, a quick little game called Super Pickle Man. Say what? Yeah. One of our listeners emailed it in. We'll get to some of his feedback later on. Uh, it's his game. It's it's just a pickle, and he runs and he jumps, but it's it's fun and kind of funny. All right, and with that, all of our latest updates from CIG News are done. Let's get into the basics with Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. Greetings, Sits and Sips, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show where we delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you all the gory details from the inside out. Fair warning, though, this game is still in active development, so all the information given will be subject to change. This week, as our squawk box indicated, we have a need... A need? For, for speed. speed. Some say he lives in a tree, and that his sweat can be used to clean precious metals. We know he's not the Stig but he is the Stig's American cousin. Take it away, Jeff. Well, there are at least four kinds of space propulsion that we know about in the game. Maneuvering thrusters, main thrusters, jump engines, and jump points. This game is going to be a quasi-Newtonian real as possible without sacrificing fun gameplay or cool immersion experience. Laser guns will still go pew-pew in the vacuum of space, and by and large, your F-7C Hornet will fly much like a P-51 Mustang. But unlike World War II fighters, in order to achieve the yaws, pitches, and rolls you need to dive in on your opponent's six, you're going to need maneuvering jets, not ailerons and elevators. Ranging a number from six on the Aurora to 16 on the Cutlass to God knows how many on the Xi'an Scout, these jets will provide in-game impulses to your digital airframe to get your nose pointed in the right direction. And when you do get pointed the right way, your main thrusters will provide the power to get you where you're going. All playable ships, with the apparent exception of the Xi'an Scout, will have one to eight main thrusters to provide powered flight. The in-flight control system is still a work in progress, and we'll link you to the developer thread where the programmers are discussing it with the community. Right now, though, the system is evolving in the direction of making your maneuvering thrusters and main thrusters work together in different ways, depending on the quality and type of avionics you have installed, and whether or not you have certain safety and stability features turned on. You may be as nimble as a jackrabbit, or as graceful as an elephant with a hangover. This game is quasi-Newtonian, so you'd think that you could just light the fires and accelerate to infinity and beyond. Well, not so fast. Your top speed in Newtonian space will be limited for in-fiction safety reasons. To prevent you from jellyfying yourself in a tight turn. Also for in-game reasons, this is supposed to be World War II dogfighting in space, not space invaders on crystal meth. Also, even the best science fiction-y chemical thrusters aren't practical for interplanetary travel. Space is big. Really big. I mean, you may think it's a long way down the road to the chemists, but that's just peanuts compared to space. For really long trips, like from planetary orbit to a jump point, you need a jump engine. The details are still under development, but as far as we can figure out right now, it's going to feel like when Firefly's Serenity did one of its main engine burns. 
In fiction, lighting this drive-off will result in travel at not insignificant fraction of speed of light towards your destination. In-game, you're likely to be switching between instances from orbit to jump point. In fiction, EM gravitational or physical disturbances might cause your jump drive to cut out. In-game, the system might decide to throw up a random encounter at you and force you to deal with a rogue asteroid or possibly even a hostile intercept. And finally, we come to the depths of interstellar space. To get from here to light years from here, you need to traverse a jump point. Your jump engine will reconfigure itself and interact with your avionics to easily and safely cross any and all charted jump points stored in your computer. Is this point uncharted? Are your charts outdated or incomplete? Well, things just got a whole lot more exciting for you. Hopefully, they can recover your escape pod. And that's everything we know about propulsion at this moment. Like we said, the game is a work in progress and things are subject to change, so should any big details be revealed in the future, we will come back and revisit this segment. But for next week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we're going to take your vote once again in our ship poll. We've already covered the Freelancer and Constellation classes, so those won't be in the mix, but there are still 11 more ships to get through. So check out our show post on GuardFrequency.com to register your vote. Let's get on to our interview with Chris Figueroa, who successfully crowdfunded his own game, Imagine Me. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. And friends, we'd like to welcome Chris Figueroa. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Excellent. Of Kiwi Games. Uh, He's an independent developer, uh, the owner of his own company, and a little bit of an expert through experience in crowdfunding. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, good. Well, we understand that uh, you have a successfully crowdfunded game of your own called Imagine Me. Yeah, I crowdfunded it a long time ago. Tell us a little bit about how that got started. Why did you decide to crowdfund your own game? Yeah, so I was currently working at Activision in QA, and I just kind of wanted to do something a little more. And eventually I just created a project to see what people thought. And Kickstarter was something relatively new at the time, so I didn't know what to think of it. And then people were like, well, just try it. When when was that? 2011? 2010? All right. And so, yeah, I did it for a small, really small amount. Nothing like what people do now. And it was really successful. I had $5,256, and I only asked for 5000 All right, so you got almost 10% more than what you were asking for. Right? Yeah, it was the campaign really nice. closed. All right, and so you thought, hey, there's an audience for this. Yeah, it was really weird. A lot of board games were taking over at the time. There weren't that many video games. So it was kind of cool to be one of the first at the time. There were some other ones at the time, too, but mine was relatively new, and it was cool to see that I didn't have to be anything in order to have people get excited about it and want to back it. Great. So the success of the project moved you into the development stage, right? You only had an idea or a pilot. Yeah, I only had a concept, and a lot that you can't even really do that now. You kind of, everyone kind of expects something. I did a concept, and everyone kind of just went with it, which was really awesome. Well, I'm going to sort of interview my co-host, Lennon Rich, who's also (laughs) with us here. Now, Lennon, you backed Imagine Me. I did, I did indeed. And just to fill you in, Chris, it was 2011. Not that I'm bitter in the slight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was 2011 back when the Kickstarter was. But no, it was really good. I mean, I got very intrigued by the style of the game and the just the general premise. How did you come up with the idea? Yeah. So imagine me as a platformer about a little boy that's stuck in his 
own little world and you create these rooms and you play in these rooms and you discover these areas in order to get him to remember who he is and where he is and it's a 2d platformer that has hand-painted art style it's progressed a lot since the kickstarter the kickstarter kind of just like got my feet wet and then everything kind of just exploded from there because in the original Kickstarter, you said that you were targeting Mac, PC, iOS, iPad, and Android. And yeah. sort of fast forward a few years, now it appears as if you are targeting the Wii U as well. And you were obviously interviewed by Nintendo Life. What was your decisions behind the transition from PC and mobile to PC and Wii U? So the mobile target kind of got a little... I don't want to say saturated, but it's just really big right now. And I kind of got lucky with the contact at Valve. And that's where we decided to just go with PC, Mac, and Linux and just go from there. And then Nintendo approached me after I went to the Game Developers Conference and asked if we wanted to put our game on there. And we said we would do that after we worked with Valve. Fantastic. Did the success of the crowdfunding campaign sort of give you, was it like a credibility? Was it just confidence in yourself? Was it more of a, a thing that happened in the developer side or was it something that happened in yourself that led you to approach those guys? It was kind of both. I really had the backing of people to be like, hey, I have this project and notice how people are excited about it. I would like to be on your platform. And that kind of gave people like, oh, okay, like he's not just this random guy who came up with a game idea like he's doing something. And that approach from Nintendo to you, that was something that happened because you went to a conference, you put yourself out there. Would you? Yeah, decide? yeah. I go to the Game Developers Conference in yeah. San Francisco every year. They have a Nintendo booth and I just met one person from Nintendo and he gave me his card and the next thing, a couple months later, I get a phone call from him and they're like, do you want to do this? Because we can start today. Now we're going to do Steam Early Access is what is happening first. And then after that, we're going to do console. Right now, we are kind of have a small backing. It's an indie game. We have the backing from the Kickstarters, and we have the backing from our Twitter account that's really, really good. And we just decided that we needed a bigger community. So early access will allow us to make this game while seeing what people like, what people don't like, and then also they can be part of the, making the game and get us a bigger community for a full release after early access. So you're taking advantage of essentially the same mechanic, if we call it that, that Cloud Imperium Games is doing. Exactly. Putting your game idea and your game development out in front of everybody and basically opening yourself to criticism from day one of everything you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. How's that working um, out? <laughs> Uh, it's inter it's an interesting process. A lot of people, I, I guess I'm kind of lucky that a lot of people are patient, but there are the few that aren't that kind of want instant gratification. But the majority of people are more than happy to help out and be like, you know, this doesn't really work or this does work, which is nice. Now, you said you're going for Steam Early Access, so presumably you're not going through the traditional model of having a publisher in order to get this funded. This is entirely something that you're doing yourself. You don't have anyone lined up behind the scenes? <laughs> no, it's just me. Just kind of met people, got some contacts and kind of did my own thing. Do you find yourself either lacking anything or do you feel it's more of an advantage to not be tied to that big publisher traditional model? The only thing I feel sometimes that we're lacking is just the backing of a community, but I think that with our early access, that'll get us to that point. But I know a lot of people already have that going into it, so I guess we're a little bit behind, but not much. So this is where the move to Steam Early Access is just a, a basically it's a, another platform for you. You had your Kickstarter, that campaign closed. You say you're currently raising money on Twitter? We just did like a secret pre-order, yeah. Okay. And people can pre-order the game now if they want to also. 
Okay, and so you have this other third way via STEAM to also try to get the message out yep. uh, and then and, try to attract funding that way. Yep, and then also people can just be part of the game, actually. So when we release builds, they can tell us like what works, what doesn't, and then we can change and iterate the game until we get it to a solid point. And also it includes a level editor that they'll be able to create levels and share, and we'll have contests for that and stuff, too. Oh, so in, in addition to not only trying to attract backers and, let's face it, beta testers, you're also trying to attract a modding community, sort of a, a, an ecosystem for the game once it's released. Yep. Yep, and we're kind of hoping that people will embrace the level editor and show us things that we never thought were possible. Was that something that was designed with the goal in mind from day one, or was that something you added after the Kickstarter? It's something that I mentioned in the Kickstarter, but I never knew how to approach it. And then once my skills became better, I was able to commit to it fully. Personal question here, what are you writing it in? <laughs> uh, I'm using Unity, and I'm doing <gasps> C-sharp. Okay. I think you made Lennon happy. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was supposed to be shock, but I'm useless at feigning reactions. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. No, I no. Mean, it's, it's a pretty basic thing now. But yeah, I'm doing Unity with C-sharp. Yeah, that's good, because I mean, obviously, building on an existing engine is, is always helpful. It's, at least you don't have to redesign everything from the ground <laughs> up. Do you feel that you're stuck within the confines of Unity? Is there anything about that that's frustrated you? Have you ever wanted to branch out and do your own thing? Yeah, I mean, I think some people feel that way. As of right now, I don't feel that way. But I think once I get into lower level stuff, like really being able to support like a modding community, I might have to do it on my own. But that's not any time in the future. But I, I really enjoy Unity. I like that I can just write it once and that's it. Well, yeah, and do you th feel that uh, and that's another commonality you have with you know, Star Citizen, the game that we cover, is that they're taking an existing engine mm -hmm. and building a game on top of that? with all the warts that come with the, the system and everything. Is that something that you see sort of as an advantage to independent game developers, not having to grow your own from scratch? Yeah, yeah, it helps just with a base, so you're not exactly starting from scratch, and then you can just, whatever the engine allows you to do, you can just fill in the gaps with that, whatever it gives you. It's when after you're done and you're like, well, I've, I like, I kind of want to do something a little more, but the engine doesn't support it is when things get a little harder. And is that where you maybe start thinking about your next Kickstarter project, <laughs> building your own engine? <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't like do a Kickstarter to build my own engine. I'd probably <laughs> just do it on my own. People wouldn't even understand, like, why were you kickstarting a game engine? So the crowdfunding can't do everything. <laughs> uh, uh, it can do everything. I, I shouldn't say that, but there's just things that haven't been done. Let's say that. Well, and in 2000, 2011, doing a video yeah. game hadn't been done. <laughs> well, yeah, it was done not very much. There was only like a couple hundred, maybe a hundred. It wasn't very many. How far through development are you, roughly? I'm like 75% through the level editor. Tutorials are done, and right now we're just making levels. Non-stop okay. making levels. And that seems to be the most tedious thing, because like you'll play it and you'll be like, oh, this is good, or this doesn't work, but then like you have to have someone else play it, because it may seem easy to you, but it could be really hard to someone else. And that's where early access is really going to help us. So the skeletons there, you're just adding meat to the bones, if you like, exactly. to get it, get it fleshed yep. out. Excellent. Okay, so then having been on this journey from Kickstarter through to being your own studio, if you could go back and do it all again, is there anything that you would change? I don't know. That's a tough question because <laughs> a lot of the things that I'm doing now, like being on Steam and dealing with Nintendo and like none of that would have happened if I'd done anything differently. I kind of played the long game and waited to release. I could have released a long time ago, but I didn't. So you found that holding back for a better release was good for you? 
Yeah, yeah, it really, I mean, it. my backers weren't very happy about it, but I think... The, <laughs> hey, I one think of them's so. still talking to you. Yeah. yeah, one of them's still, hey, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, um, they benefit more in the end by me being able to provide them with a game on Steam and have a community and be able to talk about it and bringing it to consoles. Um, I guess I really wouldn't change anything. <laughs> sometimes the anticipation is really just part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. Like I said previously, though, some people understand the anticipation, other people don't. So Yeah, I'm definitely one of those ones who's on the understanding side because I'd rather have a finished product that was 10 times better than a rushed product. And, you know, in the nicest possible way, I only gave you five bucks, man. I'm not going to come after blood. <laughs> you know? yeah. You've you got to keep it realistic here. I mean, yeah, if, exactly. if, uh, if I'd given you 5,000, different story. But it was only <laughs> five bucks. So you genuinely, you take as long as you need because I have no doubt it's going to be a fantastic game when it's ready and i really look forward to playing it yeah yeah i'm glad that you're excited and we have a lot of people that are excited it's kind of surreal to hear people say that because it's it feels like a long time and i think it's just ready like march 17th is it so Ooh, is, you gotta, is that a an exclusive date there that we've got uh well people know it yeah but oh. uh, we haven't we <laughs> haven't like no so okay well cool well so march 17th how can people get their grubby little mitts on this game yeah, so you can pre-order it now if you go to imaginemegame.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Imagine Me Game, or go to Facebook or Google+. And you can just go to our website and order it there, and you can order it from the Humble Store widget, and then we'll give you a Steam key when it's ready. All right. Well, Chris Figueroa, thanks so much for stopping by and talking to us about crowdfunding your game and your experiences with it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, that's enough from us. Let's hear from you guys. Let's get into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! And now it's time for our feedback loop from our show post at guardfrequency.com. Chivalry Bean writes, I would totally be on board with investigating insurance claims, but the real question is, can players be part of insurance fraud? Could I, not that I ever would, as a player, eject while my ship rams oh. the asteroid laden with some explosives. Salvage the bits, say it was pirates, and see if I can get away with it at a profit. I think that what we're likely to see here is something a bit like how Star Trek Online does their ramming speed. Is that you have to have your hull down to a certain percentage before you'll be able to eject is what I think the system's going to be. Yeah, there's got to be some kind of in-engine way to do it. I mean, one of the things that I don't know if we've covered this last time, but there's going to be a bit of a delay just like in the real world, between your submitting an insurance claim for a new ship and when the new one arrives at your hangar, it would seem to me that if you're a frequent claimant, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to be put farther down on the list because you're a horribly incompetent pilot. And number two, your insurance premiums are going to skyrocket. Now, I understand that there are people with lifetime insurance, and so that's free hull insurance on your on your ship. But I got to think that the knocking you down on the replacement list is going to eventually overwhelm any advantage you have to getting the free ship back. Pally writes in, A good job might be to operate a traveling bordello servicing the mining planets. It should increase morale. LOL. <laughs> Just wondering if the game will have resets. For example, World of Warcraft, your gear becomes obsolete every patch. I suppose one way to do it would be to bring out, say, the Constellation Mark II or Mark III or Mark IV, a slightly better version of the original. It would put money back into the economy, give newbies a chance to catch up, and there might even be a secondhand ship market. It would also be logical, as there are always new models of everything coming out in real life. 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that that would be the case in this game. I mean, we might see a whole brand new class of ships or even new ships, but not the Mark II or Mark III of something. More likely we'll see better gear. I'm yeah. going to disagree with you, Jeff. Yeah. I'll stay out of it. Yeah. No, you, you can jump in too. You can be a tiebreaker. You can be the Chris Rockets okay. of our right. group here. I'm well, doesn't that mean that, I go first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should be calling first. I'm the tiebreaker. I'm going in before they even establish there's a tie. No, uh, uh, I think that just for the simple fact of the matter that they've invested so much time and energy making the models, I think it'd be a lot easier to tweak the models that are in the game, like add a bigger front window or a wider wing or more hard points than it would be to design entirely new ships from scratch. And I would say there's probably going to be a mix of both. There'll be additional new ships dribbling into the game, but I think probably once a year, much like cars, a lot of the ships will get facelifts or slight tweaks or new interiors or something like that. I think they kind of did it already with the idea of the Aurora commercial that seemed like it was the all-new 2944 Aurora two-letter suffix that LN, maybe? I don't remember. But they always had the other LXs and the MRs, too. But those were cosmetic. They didn't have, you know, new hulls or or actually a Mark II. I think I'm actually going to go sort of halfway between the two of you, almost. Not really, in the slightest, but that's the best way I could just interject (laughs) into this conversation. Um, We've seen in various episodes of Ten for the Chairman and the like that Chris has said that it's going to be an ongoing development. So once Star Citizen has launched, it's going to be weekly, monthly updates rather than big content releases like expansions. So if it had something like an expansion pack, I could see that that would very much be the case. What I think is likely to happen is in-game, in fiction, there will be some sort of think tank, some sort of research unit, something ongoing that will develop. So rather than a sensor probe, for example, that can only reach three kilometers, they bring one out that can reach four kilometers and so on. With the actual ships themselves, though, I think we might see minor revisions like the Class 1 plus Class 2 hardpoint, or alternatively, we might see a completely different model come out, but I don't think we'll necessarily see a straight upgrade path from a Mark 1 to a Mark 2 to a Mark 3. All right. Well, rampant speculation, as always. It's our yes. specialty here at the show. Well, I mean, we're doing a show about a game that's not even out yet. The whole thing is rampant speculation. In fact, <laughs> I'm not even sure you guys are real. I don't even no. know what's going on anymore. I'm a disembodied voice on the internet. I passed that's, the Turing test, though. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm computer-generated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why your initials are CG. That makes sense now. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Sean Newboy writes in. He says, Great episode, guys. I would love to set up a mobile repair slash modification business. Four guys with welders and a spaceship. The best parts and the fastest turnaround? We'll have you flying in light seconds. See, that would be a great occupation. Bad idea. Yeah, that'd be a great occupation. Mm. Yes, another welcome addition from our uh, Priority One listener group. Thank you very much for coming over Sean Newboy and yeah I think the more sorts of missions that are available for different people wanting to play different roles the better so yeah mobile repair shop love it and via the Robert Space Industry Forums Mad Wolf comment from episode 7 says I have a question for Jeff I plan to buy the Thrustmaster HOTUS Warthog joystick that I plan to use not just for this sim but for any of the flight games that I play including the arcadey ones Anyway, what is it about your Warthog that you don't like that you are turning to other possible joysticks to play this game? Is the setup too complex? Does the Warthog have not enough buttons for the game? Is the response time too slow? I just want to know your point of view since you own one and this stick is a whopping $499. Well, Matt, really, the Warthog is a complex stick. The Arcadey ones, I don't see it working too well. It takes a lot of time to set up each profile and each game that you want to get right. You're always hopping in the game, finding out what buttons you want, what works and what doesn't. 
there are an awful lot of buttons, so you're not going to run out of buttons for this game. I'll tell you that right now. And you can set up combinations. I mean, the choices are almost, almost infinite, but there is an awful lot to set up. So, one, you have to be really dedicated to the game you're going to play to set this profile up for each one because each game is different. I play a lot of flight sims, so it works really well with that. I know that on a lot of jet fighters all over the world, a lot of the systems operate the same. It's almost like they copy everybody else when it comes to their cockpit design. So you can definitely, you know, master arm is always a switch, and all the other things that go on in jet fighter are pretty much similar. So that's my only reason why I would be looking at a more simple stick with Starsis. And I'm only saying that because I haven't seen the dogfighting mod. I'll know more when the dogfighting mod comes out and I actually have a chance to fly this game. And we also hear from Nexus. Hey guys, just listened to the show. Loved it. Although I am feeling a little underprepared with my wee little Aurora LN smiley face. A quick question for the next show. What are your expectations for the alpha phase for 2014? We have the dogfighting module scheduled, but what else are you expecting? Like a full alpha test, Squadron 42 beta, etc., etc. Anyway, love the show and counting the days for episode 9. Well, we might have already answered your question, Nexi. Mm. The whiteboard says many things. It holds many secrets. And and, many uh, post-its. And many post-its, secrets on the post-its. But I think that, yeah, Squadron 42, Alpha and Beta looks pretty solid if they stick to that timeline. But uh, I think definitely we'll see those things. And I bet, I think the economy is something we're not going to see in 2014. I think that's the last piece and will probably take the most tweaking. But I think everything else is up for grabs. First-person shooter boarding stuff, dogfighting module certainly. Well, Squadron 42 isn't going to have an economy per se, is it? Because that's going to be a no, single player No, you don't need the so, economy. Yeah, you don't need the economy yeah. for Squadron 42. So that can come out as its own thing. And I'm really looking yeah. forward to the military aspect of this. It's going to be interesting to get that feel of Wing Commander again. You know, yeah, it'll be Wing Commander 6, right? Yeah, exactly. And Chivalry Bean writes in. That's, well, that's two times Chivalry Bean, so you're this week's winner of the Chivalry Bean Award. Congratulations! Yay! He says, Good to be Guardfreak's official spreadsheet guy. Basically, all my Excel know-how I have, I gained from making spreadsheets for gaming, either electronic or even pen and paper RPGs. And clearly when I die, my headstone will note that awards have been named after me. That's, Indeed, <laughs> that is very true. And and just given the pattern, you're going to have two tombstones anyway, one on the other side of the graveyard. So you can be the winner of the Chivalry Bean Award even in the afterlife. And they'll be uh, engraved on both in sides. Advance. Yes, engraved <laughs> on both sides. And via Twitter, we hear from MacSTO at Guard Freak. Another fantastic episode. Really enjoy the show. And Chivalry Bean again. What? An exploration version of my origin ship. Why, yes, CIG, have another $10. And from our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com, John writes in, I love your podcast. It's more pro than most. <laughs> mm-hmm. I came as a longtime listener from P1. Keep up the great work. And on to the questions. I could see so many missions that could be generated by Lynch's fever. Running meds, smuggling someone out of a quarantine planet, patrolling a planet to keep it contained. So much room for activity. I want to see a bigger role for search and rescue. Ships and gear designed for that purpose. On the other hand, the same ships and gear could be used for piracy so they could make interesting black market items. I would like to see game mechanics that would entail safely boarding a damaged ship, performing basic medical first aid, putting out fires, getting wounded off the ship. Yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. like fun. That sounds like guard frequency right there, I'll tell you. Heck yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. I think this is pretty, pretty awesome stuff. And that's that's the kind of thing that can really be supported by the procedural content generation. 
the server gets notified that a ship has been damaged and a pilot is ejected, it could generate a job on the jobs board saying mm-hmm. medical attention needed in this area or emergency services are overwhelmed right now. We need a freelance search and rescue ship to come check this out. Heck yeah, send a little fleet of squadron of ships out there. One secures the area, one boards the ship. That's great stuff. Well, are we going to get invited back to your place for coffee? Should we try doing a show live from space? Let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. And now you can subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just search for us on iTunes. And you can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. Uh, leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk, S-Q-U-A-W-K, at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And before we disappear, as usual, a special thanks to all of our new Twitter followers. Matt Kabinski, Red Thomas underscore, Detpack Man, Obi Sintron, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Star Citizen Fan, good choice for a podcast there, Darth Malek, <laughs> Dave Dickerson, Holly Buckets in Majimi Game, and Kenny Feeb. And that brings us to the end of Episode 9 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with Episode 10. Woohoo! Double figures! Yay! Yay. On February 18th. Please send us your feedback about the show. You can hit up our website, guardfrequency.com, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash guardfreak, our Twitter, at guardfreak, our email, squawk, at guardfrequency.com, or you can pop the contact form at the top of our website or our show's forum threads over at robertspaceindustries.com and all the details for all of the methods that you can get in touch with us can be found in our show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to join us? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K at guardfrequency.com. Don't forget, we're looking for a community manager to handle our social media. So if you've got what it takes, get us an email or get in touch with us on our website or on the show's forum post. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com slash orgs slash guardfreak. We would like to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music during our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Command 2330, Carol 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the curve. Next, we're joined by a special guest to bring you an interview with Chris Figueroa. <laughs> yes. Our interview with... Figueroa. Go, then. Yeah, I was just about to. God damn it, man. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> take a deep breath, get as far as... <gasps> Go, Lennon. Go, Lennon. Go. <laughs> Shut up. Go. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> See, I knew you were about to go. That's what it so was. I thought, the no, we cannot have this. No. Right. No. No. And we're Leading live. Three, two. God. <laughs> <laughs> Give me two seconds. Just having a coughing fit. And that's four seconds. You're fired. And we're live in three, two. <laughs>
I think he's taking the I'm fired thing personally. Oh no! Either what do we do? What do we do? Conf- I, I don't no, know. The show's no, not going to get no, edited. I, I, I was muted. I did a James. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking the whole time. Oh my god! I was talking the whole time, and oh. I was like, yeah, because I started talking, and then Jeff went and would laugh. I was like, Jeff, for God's sake! Man. <laughs> oh. Oh. <clears throat> and in episode five of Wingman's Hangar, yes, got it. Yes, yes, Yay, you got it. Nailed it.